0: Hey everybody, welcome back to another episode of the Music Biz Weekly Podcast I'm one of your two co-hosts, Michael Branvold and as always, I'm joined by Jay Gilbert How are we doing today, Jay? I'm caffeinated and I'm ready to go There you go, well let's jump right into this because we don't want to miss any any of this discussion We've got a a returning special guest
1: Yes Well, this um, Chris Castle has written some really great articles um, that have helped even those of us navigate these really uh, muddy waters of you know, copyright and licensing and the consent decree and just all of these things that can be really complicated. And what I love about Chris's writing is that it spells it out so... You don't have to be an attorney to understand it. And this has been in the news a lot lately, and, you know, we're thrilled to have you on the show to talk to you about it.
2: Great. Well, thanks a lot, guys. Um, It's a um, uh, complicated little situation that uh, has arisen here. Do you want to – maybe I'll just give a little brief kind of description of the landscape. Exactly. Yeah, please do. Please. So um, the first thing to remember, which most people don't really understand, is that songwriters are probably the most highly regulated workers in America. Um, There are essentially three streams of income that are sort of the repeat business for most songwriters, which are performances uh, for over the air and uh, internet uh, performances like on Spotify, let's say, or um, a terrestrial radio. Uh, mechanical royalties, which traditionally have been for the mechanical reproduction of songs, which would be uh, CD,
1: albums.
2: Yeah, exactly. Physical carriers. But that was expanded to include uh, downloads, and then was expanded again to include um, on-demand streams, and limited, what they call limited downloads, or timed-out downloads. Um, And a few other things, but we're just going to worry about that one for now. And then there's sync licenses, which is for audiovisual works um, that use music, like television shows, motion pictures, commercials. Yeah, yeah. So of the three, um, there's only one that is really what you would call a free market uh, for negotiated license rates. Uh, That would be synchronization. The other two are prices that are set by the government in one way or another. Uh, and they are also subject to what we would call a uh, compulsory, in the case of the mechanical license, compulsory license, uh, or what I'd call a near compulsory license, which is um, the performance uh, royalty. in particularly in the case of ASCAP and BMI. Uh, so what that means is that the government decides what the mechanical royalty rate should be um, when they're thinking about it, and the government forgot to do that from 1909 until 1978. They, they
0: Chris, left the. Chris, let me let me ask you, and and if this is a too deep of a discussion, we can do it at another time. But curious, why is the government? Why did the government even get involved in being the one that was going to set all of this from the beginning? Is there is there a is there a two minute History background that you can uh, that you can share with us to why it was decided the government's going to decide how much people make.
2: Well, um, historically, there was a concern that somehow the publishers would be able to control the market uh, for songs and uh, sheet music in particular uh, in the very beginning, and um, they a lot you know people. Lobbied the government, users of sheet music lobbied the government, users of music lobbied the government to get the government to force publishers to license at specified rates. Hmm. Uh, the rate, just to give you a reference point, the two cent rate, which was set in 1909 for mechanicals, um, was a, would, would today be something like 80 cents, uh, just adjusted for inflation not adjusted for the value that let's say you know a katy perry might have over a debussy you know Mm -hmm. you can you can debate whether musically katy perry should have greater reward than debussy but the fact of the matter is she sells more records than he did Um, so there's you know that's really kind of the origin of it is and that's also the origin of the performance uh, royalty consent decrees, which we're gonna turn to next. So that's actually kind of a good lead in for for that discussion. So the government wasn't involved in setting the performance royalty for a long time. And uh, because of, you know, what frankly probably were some shenanigans, you know, on the part of the uh, ASCAP uh, historically, in 1941, uh, the government stepped in and sued um, ASCAP for antitrust violations and entered into a consent decree to settle that case. Uh, and they did the same essentially with BMI. ASCAP is the older of the organizations um, by by quite a few years, but the consent decrees, let's just say the consent decrees essentially were entered into substantially at the same time. So both ASCAP and VMI, which by the way, were the only two performance rights organizations that existed at the time, entered into these consent decrees where they had to do certain things. And one of them is very much like the compulsory license. They have to license their catalog. Um, They cannot refuse to license their catalog. And then um, they try to negotiate a rate for that catalog with the music user, let's say radio stations, at the time, and um, still are, are the or are one of the one of the big contracts with ASCAP BMI. And if they can't reach a conclusion, then um, the uh, parties have to go to what's called a rate court, and a rate court is essentially. A regular judge, what what's called an Article Three judge, who's like a regular federal trial court judge who will hear rape court cases, you know, one day and criminal cases the next. You know, I mean, who, who hears all kinds of cases. So they're not exclusively uh, the rape court judge, and um, that judge is um, appointed, although it's usually from a on a voluntary basis, is appointed by the senior judge in the Southern District of the state of New York, right? So the the judges are always a federal appeals court judge, or excuse me, a federal trial court judge who sits in the Southern District of New York, notwithstanding the fact that, you know, the business now is much more widely distributed than it ever was. And, you know, if you're in Los Angeles or San Francisco, then you have to make the trek and bear the expense of appearing in rate court. Um, So what ends up happening is the fact that you can go to rate court and have this kind of administrative law type hearing where you present your economic case and you say, this is my justification for why I want a certain rate. Um, and, And that rate will then be set for the entire, usually for the, they, they they set a rate for the people who are in front of the court, but that ends up being the rate that a lot of people who don't have the money to go to rate court end up paying, if they're similarly situated. Um, and that's the way it was. And not only did they did they require the PROs or, or and the songwriters who comprise the PROs the license um, to anybody who asked. They also restricted the PROs from. Uh, issuing license for licenses for any other type of exploitation so in other words they can't you can't go to the PROs to get a mechanical license for example um, and you still can't so this wasn't really an issue that 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 restriction on the type of exploitation wasn't really an issue until streaming came along because in, in, in the way the streaming works everywhere else in the world um, where they don't have the compulsory license. Uh, They have these author societies that have the right to issue licenses for all rights, uh, both performances and mechanicals, and because streaming attracts both a performance royalty and a reproduction right, because there is a reproduction uh, involved with streaming, um, you have to get both a performance license and a mechanical license. So everywhere else in the world, you go to one place and you get one blanket license that covers everything, uh, all the songs uh, in that country, and it covers it for all rights. Whereas in the United States, you have to go to the ASCAP and BMI, and now we have CSAC and uh, Irving Azoff's company, GMR, um, to get licenses for their works. But you also have to go and get a mechanical license separate from the performance license, which frankly is a real headache and I'm sympathetic to the services about that. Uh, however, they can get a compulsory license. You can either, this is sort of like the David Lowery situation, right? You can get um, either a direct license, which you would probably do with the major publishers if you were so inclined, or you can rely on the compulsory license and send your notice of intent to use and and go through the, the formalities involved with, with obtaining uh, those rights so and paying those royalties. So what ends up happening is that you have um, this hole uh, in the performance, in the administration of the performance right that requires services to get Another license for the exact same song with the exact same owners for the exact same use pay a different royalty rate and send out a completely different set of statements for the same use and this because it's streaming is for billions of lines of royalties every month (laughs) right, so people said you know we need to take a relook at how these performance licenses are being administered. These these uh, uh, consent decrees are being administered for ASCAP and BMI, and um, the Justice Department agreed to open it up to public comments. And one of the comments that you got a lot from from a number of different sources, um, including me, frankly, you know, in that in that comment period was why don't you let the societies issue a unilicense, as it's called, or one license for all the rights that the services need, uh, we're far more likely to get paid properly, and there are f- there's far less likelihood of holes.
1: Is that like they're doing XUS us that you yes. described? Okay.
2: Yes. In other words, bring the United States in line with the rest of the world
1: sounds reasonable it's
2: true. it's true that spotify knew what they were getting into before they came here and they want they're the ones that wanted to come to the u.s but you know what it's a headache for the songwriters as well it's a headache for everybody that touches it let's make it easy because the only reason it's a headache justice department is because of y'all <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> <laughs> You yeah. created this problem right yeah. So, um, Justice Department had public comments, and you know, people were kind of encouraged by that. Hundreds of people filed comments, which was unusual. That's not that's not what historically has happened. Normally, it's been sort of like the insiders, and that's it. You know, so you'll get, you know, eight comments filed. You know, and, but this time you had hundreds. Wow. Um, and. Um, so a lot of people were interested in it. So we didn't hear anything back on that for a while. And then, and then we found out that the Mike Coalition, which had formed in response to the Fair Play Fair Pay Act, which was the effort to get artists paid for terrestrial broadcast, the Mike Coalition had sent a letter to a lawyer named Renata Hesse at the Justice Department, who is the head of the Antitrust Division. Now, the Mike Coalition, and and that letter called on Renata Hesse to investigate CSAC's acquisition of the Harry Fox Agency um, because of the potential for anti-competitive activity. Now, bear in mind, CSAC, after it acquired the Harry Fox Agency, at least with respect to the publishers who were members of the Harry Fox Agency could issue, you know, a kind of kludge together version of this unilicense, right? Mm-hmm. And maybe not that kludge together. I mean, you know, it, it, they could probably actually do it, which would make life easy. So why the users were interested in stopping that is really a head-scratcher for me. I, I struggle to understand what the rationale was. But what did happen after... This was probably about a year after they closed the public comments the first time around. What did happen about a month after Renata Hesse got this letter was that the Justice Department announced they wanted new a new round of public comments on a new issue which was partial uh, or, or 100, what we call 100% licensing or full work licensing.
1: As oh, a- okay. I read your article on this. This is where, like, if you and me and Michael wrote a song together, and you were ASCAP, you know, I'm BMI or whatever, I can go ahead and, you know, license that song without your permission and kind of take care of the the uh, financials on that. Is that close?
2: Yeah. So basically, what what they were what they were saying is this is the, the, that the way the societies are required to operate under the consent decree, ASCAP BMI, that is, under the consent decrees is based on this theory of law, which is called tenancy in common. And basically what it says is, is um, if you own an undivided, this is a, this is a real estate concept, right? So it's, It's being applied to copyright law, but it didn't originate with copyright law. It originated real estate, right? Very different. (laughs) Yeah. And and so it won't surprise you to know that the United States is probably one of the few countries in the world that uh, that will accept this theory some of the time, depending on the court, uh, applied to copyright law. Virtually no other country in the world will accept this theory applied to copyright law, although they may apply it to real property particularly you know the uk australia canada you know common what they call common law jurisdictions that that reach back to the england for their right history right so what what this theory is 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 this a tenant in common who owns an undivided interest in in a in a property has the right to issue a non-exclusive license For the whole of the work, songwriters in in our case, a songwriter who is a co-writer would have the right to issue a non-exclusive license, which would include a performance license, in the whole of the work, provided that there is no agreement to the contrary and that the license fee does not constitute economic waste, right? Okay. So, now, if you you If you think that through what that means is if we write a song and we have a split agreement which is really common (laughs) okay Mm -hmm, yeah really really garden variety stuff okay Mm -hmm. and we say we each own a third of this song and we're each going to register it with our own PROs and look to our PROs to collect on our behalf then we have an agreement as far as I'm concerned that's that's um, enforceable that would prevent any one of us from issuing that non-exclusive license for the whole of the work. And how do I know that? Well, I know that because if I go look up how I registered my song, my share of the song, with my PRO, let's say BMI, um, I'm going to know that I'm only claiming a third of the song and I'm telling BMI you can only collect a third of this song. Whereas if if Jay was, was was a member of ASCAP and Jay did the same thing and told ASCAP they could only collect a third of the song and Michael was a member of GMR and told GMR that they could only collect a third of the song, then there's written evidence that we all agreed on this and there was a meeting of the minds about not only what the splits were but how it was to be administered and who could license it, right? That's probably the case, I would say, for... of any co-written songs that certainly that make any money, (laughs) right, through ASCAP or through any of the societies, right? So for the Justice Department to start asking questions about this was very odd. Then, notwithstanding the fact they had let those public comments from 2014 kind of languish for a long time and never showed any interest in them particularly, they got very interested in this inquiry right? It got a real short fuse and they started having meetings and phone calls. And so they ended up having a phone call, phone calls with the songwriter groups and where they would read aloud to the songwriters, their draft ruling that they wanted to issue about partial licenses or or full work licenses. And they, and they, refuse to give them a written version of this now think about this this is a government agency mm-hmm. communicating directly with the people it regulates about a regulation it plans to issue that is not being made public <laughs> and is being read aloud to them over the telephone
1: no hard copy
2: no hard copy to get their objections so that the agency can then revise the, uh, the the regulation, not to address their true objections, but to address the objections that the agency thinks that they might be made that could actually have an impact and prevent the agency from doing what it wants to do. <laughs> and. Well, and- and that I'm makes sure.
1: sense. That sounds a little nutty to me, Chris. I mean, yes. who stands who stands to benefit from the 100% licensing, where we co-write a song together, and then I can just go ahead and and move forward with it, and I I would assume that I would have to collect the money for that and disperse it. But regardless, who stands to gain? Who who you know? I was told a long time ago. You know, it's it's not about the money. It's about the money, meaning right, that yeah. everybody says it's not about the money. And typically when you follow the, the paper trail, right, <laughs> yeah. that's where you find what's – your, what's your thoughts hey, you on know, that? Chris, I mean, Chris it, it, it,
0: seems, it seems to me that when things like what you just described happen within the government, and we can – anywhere in the government, that right. usually is indicates somebody powerful has stepped up and said, hey – I need you to do it this way to benefit my cause. Who is that? (laughs) Exactly.
2: Who who is that? Yeah, well, that's a good question. So, so, (laughs) um, So let's take a look at it, right? So the Mike Coalition, right, who sent this letter right before all this jazz started happening, is comprised of Google, Pandora, the National Association of Broadcasters, the Restaurant Association, the Consumer Electronics Association, the Computer and Communications Industry Association, um, the Hotel Association.
1: Everywhere music's played.
2: FEMA, that's right, right? And, of course, what this means is that instead of getting licenses from all these, these PROs, they could just get a license from one under this theory, and then they pay all the and they could get the license from the one that had the lowest rate, and then they could pay all the money to that one. Now, you would ask yourself, what changed? You know, like why now? Right. Why now? So, what has happened out there that would cause those people to think that it was a problem? that rose to this level and that they would need to get um,
1: involved. They would need to get yeah. the
2: Justice Department involved. So the only thing that I can find that happened in the le- since, you know, like the last year or so, 18 months or so, um, is Irving Azoff challenged YouTube, right? Because right. He, he said, you know, all my writers, don't like the rates that you've negotiated. We're not going to take those rates at GMR. We're not subject to the consent decrees, so we're going to negotiate what we call a fair rate. And as uh, as a great negotiator once said to me, "Fair is where we end up, right?" <laughs> you know. So, so, so. Um,
1: well, let me let me just ask you a quick question to what you just said. When when I think of YouTube, I don't think of even though it's the number one streaming, you know that's where people listen to music. You know it's kind of the dirty little secret. I think of sync because even with a pseudo video or you know a lot of these videos, since you're putting music to a video, it wouldn't that fall under sync or is this still more like you know a, a Pandora or a Spotify?
2: Well. <laughs> Except that there is a very googly answer to that, right? <laughs> <I> <laughs> which is that the sync occurs when the user creates the video. Google is not creating the sync, Google is just reproducing. So, if you look at those Google licenses, particularly the older ones, um, they're not really sync licenses because they say, No, 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 we had nothing to do with that. That was already done by the time the user uploaded the video. So we don't need your sync license. Okay. Google, produced-
0: Google's <laughs> claiming the user should go get the sync license. It's their responsibility
2: to comply. That's right. And, and of course, no one does. And, but but they do, it's not that they don't pay. They do pay on the publisher side and the PRO side, right? But because it's audiovisual, it's not subject to the compulsory license for mechanicals because that's audio only is the way that works. So So it's
1: negotiated.
2: That's negotiated. Yes. Okay. Yeah. It's well, (laughs) it's Google. So, you know, if you, you, if you want to call it that, okay, that's, that's what it is. It's kind of a take it or leave it kind of deal. But, um, but so Irving said, no, you know, I, I didn't sign your social contract. You know, I'm not participating in this. Pharrell wants out. Right. And so we're, you know, we're looking forward to a new negotiation with you, Google. And, and by the way, you know, we're not taking that hillbilly deal that you did with ASCAP and BMI. And because we've got Pharrell and he's a co-writer, right? He's a co-writer. He has the right to pull out and nobody has the right to issue his share because he's got these agreements with all his co-writers. So when I look back and I say, so what event, and this was a big deal, okay, this is probably going to result in litigation, you know, Google, I I don't know where where, where it stands right now. Nobody has filed anything to my knowledge. But when I look back, I say, okay, so this, I understand if I'm Google, I want, I don't want to deal with Irving Azoff because what will end up happening is that deal with Irving Azoff, right? is gonna become a benchmark that the societies can use in the rate courts, because that's one of the things you do when you bring your economic experts, you look at arm's length free market benchmarks. Well, there's been no real free market benchmarks to look at, but there will be now, (laughs) right? Because if if Irving gets his way, because GMR will have all these high powered writers, they'll be a very good benchmark, right? So they don't want that. They don't want that. So how do you get out of it? Well, you know, it depends on what the definition of is is, right? So they're going to define their way around this thing, right? They don't – they're going to say, no, no, we don't need to do that because the Justice Department says that this was the deal all along, right? That the societies were required to issue – full work licenses, the fact that none of them have ever done it and none of the people getting the licenses ever thought they could do it, and the fact that no money has ever been paid on that basis doesn't matter. Hmm. And now we enter full, what I call full-blown Kafka mode, right? I mean, this is going through the looking glass, you know? And so then they said, they, they said to the songwriters who were on these calls where they were reading aloud the proposed regulation, and I'm so sure that's exactly how the EPA does it with Exxon, you know? Yeah. <laughs> Exxon, right. They say, hey, guys, you know, hey, just want to this. kind of run this by – I'm just going to read it to you over the phone, okay? You know? Yeah. And right. Christopher Robin, you know, went down the stairs, and Winnie the Pooh went bumpity bumpity bump. You know, I mean, this is this is how we read aloud to each other. You know, this is how we do business. I, you know, and so the songwriters said, "You all are crazy. <laughs> you know, this is not the way the world works. No one does this. You know, what are we supposed to do?" And the head of the litigation section for this, you know, who basically controls the antitrust. Litigation for the entire entertainment industry, broadly defined—you know, books, everything—said, "Well, you know, just leave ASCAP." <laughs> okay, you know, so that's your that's your big solve is is you know, so we just leave our PRO. And you know, then at that point, the songwriters, uh, t- well, a lot of the songwriters told me that they just hung up. You know, they just. They just weren't going to participate in this anymore. And they said, you know what? Publish your rule, and we'll react to what you publish. But we're this phone call business is done. We're not doing this anymore. Do
1: right? you think the people on that phone call understood everything that was being said to them? Because, you know, look, some of this stuff is pretty complicated. and They
2: understood that part. Okay. They, under- they understood, you know, what they understood was, that ASCAP was going to be able to issue a license for BMI works and GMR works and CSAC works, right? On co-written songs. And that there was no nobody knew any nobody had any explanation for how the money was going to eventually find its way back to the other society's members.
1: Wouldn't that be the responsibility of BMI if if they were the ones that you know or whatever the PRO was that Uh, initiated it? Is that how that would work?
2: Well, it's unclear how it would work it's unclear if they have the right to do any of this under their agreements and all that I think would have to happen is for the songwriters to say, you know, we have split agreements, you can't issue that license and so you know the Justice Department doesn't really address how this is all going to be accounted for and they also don't address who's gonna pay because, I mean, think them through for a second. You know, let's say, let's just entertain this idea. Let's say that, that, that it is the law and that these guys have to comply. So ASCAP issues a license for a, a song that's co-written with a GMR writer, right? Um, what rate applies? ASCAP's rate, presumably, right? The GMR no, has no deal with ASCAP that says they can do that. They have no deal like that. So ASCAP is taking a chance that um, when they issue that license, it's they're not gonna get sued by GMR, right? Of course, they feel better about it because they're in their writer affiliation agreements, the songwriter has indemnified them. <laughs> so if it turns out that this was the law all the time, then the songwriter is the one that has to indemnify the society for any claims from their co-writers.
1: So they're protected.
2: Well, maybe, yeah, they, they, they could say they're protected, uh, but they're gonna be very unpopular with their members, <laughs>
1: right? Yeah.
2: Um, and then, if they even if they do, you know, agree the rate, can ASCAP, ASCAP has legitimate costs that they've incurred, additional costs above and beyond their normal operating costs for doing this, right? for for engaging in this charade, right? Mm -hmm. So how are they going to recover those costs? Unclear, right? Can can they take their commission on 100%, including the share that they don't represent? Where's that written? I don't know that that's
1: written. I hadn't even thought of that.
2: You know what I mean? So then what would happen is ASCAP would commission 100%. They'd pay over to GMR. And how would they know because they they wouldn't be able to pay the songwriter directly because they have no billing relationship with the songwriter. They don't have their W9, they don't have any of the things they have for their own writers. So they'd have to pay it all over to GMR and then GMR would have to figure out how to administer it. Um, It gets even more interesting with foreign writers, right? Because the foreign societies definitely never bought into this Mm -hmm. and If they co-write, if if like a PRS, which is the UK's uh, society, Performing Rights Society, licenses uh, or or, uh, has a reciprocal agreement with ASCAP, let's say, uh, for all of their songwriters or for a particular songwriter who has co-written with an ASCAP writer, um, they never agreed that BMI could issue a license for their song. Uh, They signed up with ASCAP they have a deal with ASCAP, they're expecting to get paid by ASCAP. So then all of a sudden, the UK writer is being asked to accept BMI licensing their song and presumably recovering their costs for issuing that license. Um, And in, in, in addition to that, PRS would then commission BMI's commission, or net BMI's payment net of BMI's commission, right? So they're not getting reciprocal treatment. And the way all of these things work, and not only are they not getting reciprocal treatment, but the UK doesn't even recognize this theory of law, this tenancy in common. They don't recognize it. So on top of everything, (laughs) you don't have a commonality of the legal basis for doing this in the first place, right? Right. So the the foreign societies could, I think, very easily take the position that they're not getting reciprocal treatment. So they're going to stop collecting for American writers in the UK, just like they do on the performance right for uh, terrestrial broadcast. Right, the performance royalties for terrestrial broadcast they don't they don't collect for American writers as a general rule over there, um, and or American artists uh, in that case because it's the sound recording side. But it's the same idea. You know, it's like. If I don't get reciprocal treatment, then I'm not going to treat you reciprocally, right? Makes sense. Sounds, sounds fair, right? Then, then, think about this. There was a there was a law that was passed in um, I think 99 or 2000, somewhere around there, called the Fairness in Music Licensing Act. And basically, that it was a carve out for certain kinds of restaurants, who are the ones or members of this restaurant association that's a member of the Mike Coalition, right? Um, And and it said that you don't have to pay if your dimensions are of a certain size and so on. You don't have to pay performance royalties and you don't have to get a license from ASCAP BMI or anyone else. Um, The Irish PRO didn't, took issue with this and said, wait a minute, I have a right under international copyright treaties and international trade treaties to get paid because you're taking away a valuable right from sure. them. Sure. Um, nothing happened. The Irish government then took it on and took the United States to a trade arbitration at the World Trade Organization, which the United States lost and was required to pay millions of dollars to the Irish performing rights organization who ultimately brought the claim i mean the way the wto works is only countries can can got it arbitration but you know let me
1: ask you this you said that was about say the dimensions is that so you know hot dog carts that had a music playing didn't have to pay i don't i don't understand why the dimensions would matter
2: it mattered because the sponsor of the bill was a restaurateur
1: Did he have tiny restaurants
2: <laughs> not not that tiny. Okay. Not that tiny. I mean, when you look at the dimensions, are right there. You know, you can you can see it. Uh, it didn't look that small to me. It would okay. have been easier if they just said, you know, that restaurant there named this. You know, doesn't have to pay. But they, <laughs> they couldn't do that. They couldn't quite. Right. We had that's a bill of attainder, I think, or something. Um, but the um, so so you know what ends up happening in that Fairness Music Licensing Act is that the American taxpayer is paying Irish songwriters for performance royalties that American songwriters are not entitled to get, right? So it wouldn't shock me. It's not 100% clear to me yet whether this ruling is going to um, result in a trade arbitration, but it could. Um, So it's not in place right now? Well, so— It's just being discussed? the Justice Department has said they were, they're were they going to forbear from enforcing this rule for one year. Okay. Now, you may notice that in within that year, there's something else that's happening in American society called a presidential election. To, to get back to your question about who asked for this, right? Yeah. Um, that question came up on the songwriter call in, in one of the songwriters asked the justice department officials who were on the call, um, was the white house involved in this because everybody knows of Google's close connection to the Obama administration, right? They refused to answer. Hmm. But I have to tell you that this kind of thing is so ridiculous that a bureaucrat who knows better is only going to stick their neck out if they know they've got cover, <laughs> and the only place That's that they could get cover from is either the Attorney General, who got called out on this, by the way, during the Clinton email hearing. Right, that uh, Jerry Nadler, Judy Chu, Doug Collins, and somebody else—I forgot—four um, of them, who were on the Judiciary Committee, at, called out the Attorney General. About this issue, and one of the reasons they called her out back to Renata Hesse, who was the lawyer, the head of the antitrust division, the acting head of the antitrust division. And I'll come back to that acting part in a second. Renata Hesse used to work at a law firm that did all the anti, or a lot, if not all, the antitrust work for Google, and has very close relations to people. And so they were. They brought that up <laughs> to the attorney general that this person has a conflict of interest, which yeah. only matters if somebody at the justice department is willing to do something about it. And if the person high, came, that, that's ordering this was high enough up, they won't be, right? They're not going to. They're not going to say a word. So, you know, you you look at this and you say. This is absolutely insane. It there's no resemblance to reality. It clearly undermines the entire system. It's a way for, you know, the justice department to reach out and govern both CSAC and GMR and anybody else who comes along to the extent they've co-written with other writers, which was an issue between Irving Azoff, GMR and YouTube, right? And you say who benefits from all this, right? Well, I think I know who benefits from this. <laughs> Most immediately, it would be a way for Google to tell Irving to go take a hike. Yeah, which is something probably a lot of people have wanted to do over the years, you know, but not very few people have been able to do. And I well, don't v- think very gonna-
0: very few people are um, big enough and powerful enough to get away with doing that.
1: Yeah. Right. That's right. And my my favorite quote is I think it was Don Henley who said, you know, he may be Satan, but he's our Satan. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It was That's either right. Glenn Fry or you know, I mean, you yeah. know what
0: what 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 and and we we've, we've got to wrap up here in about a minute because you do have to leave. But what comes out of this is it feels like this is the typical a David versus Goliath type of battle. Um David might have had the best intentions, and it's best for everybody, but he just doesn't have the big enough army behind him. Goliath is just huge. Has right. the, the the more, whatever, more lawyers, more money, more lobbyists, more everything that they could fight this battle forever, and what are the performers and the writers going to be able to do? They're eventually, as you said, going to say, that's it. We we're We're done. We're out of here. Just send us your ruling, and we'll comment on it
2: yeah. yeah we'll leave ASCAP I think what's going to end up happening is first of all I think there'll, there'll be a move to pull all the co-written songs out of ASCAP and BMI uh, now there's a question wow. as to whether that will work because that's technically a partial withdrawal but I think that because it's withdrawing whole works and not yeah. just certain rights to the whole works uh, that that's a whole other conversation, but but I think I think there's possible that might work, and you might see that happen where the big guys at least will say, and this is the point that Lowry makes: the big guys will say, "I, I you know I don't want to deal with this. All my 100% ASCAP works stay in ASCAP. All my 100% BMI work stay in BMI. Everything else I'm pulling out. I'll issue licenses, which means that it will weaken ASCAP and BMI." Sure. Uh, and they will eventually get to a point where they have a um, uh, just a small group of songwriters uh, who are in those societies who who you know don't earn that much money. But but, but yeah. what
0: but what you said, which really what hit me was it's the big guys that will do that. The, right. ma- the majority yeah. the majority of the songwriters who have splits either are not aware of this, don't know how to deal with it. Don't right. have the resources, the time, the money, and they're just going to say, "Screw it, just leave it there." I and and therefore, guess who wins by default?
2: By default.
1: Well, Chris, you know, I know you got to get going, but this has been a fascinating discussion, and, and I hope we can have you on again. That was very uh, enlightening and uh, super bye. interesting stuff. Thank you so much. Yes,
0: thank you so much, Chris. All right, thanks a lot, guys. Take have care. a great day.
2: All right, you too. Bye-bye. Bye bye
0: crazy what, you know, what you learn when you talk to somebody like Chris who understands what's going on versus what you read in the media.
1: Yeah, because everybody's got their agenda. And what I like about Chris is he's just telling it like it is. He, he knows the history behind this stuff. And, you know, like we talked about, there's a reason why these things are heading the way they're heading. It benefits somebody. Well, that, that's, that's like I said,
0: that's the way it is with everything in government Mm -hmm. who's got the biggest lobbyist wins that's it you know and obviously somebody sat down and said oh wait a second if this goes this direct this this department of justice investigation goes this way it doesn't benefit us let's rally our troops let's sit down let's pull in all of our favors let's everything that you can do as a lobby type group And make it happen to benefit us. Not benefit the greater good of all writers, but benefit our business. Right.
1: Right. I mean, if that were the case, we'd have a system maybe like XUS where it's one stop. You know, that seems to make sense for UK, France, Germany, Italy, Spain, Japan. But somehow that doesn't make sense for us. And some of this stuff smacks of early early record business
0: well you know that that's <laughs> where i wanted to get into the what was the quick history that led to the government being even involved in setting all of this stuff and right it was a different era it too, was a, it was a, it was sheet music as chris said it was yes. sheet music and the, player sales, pianos, the sales you know, the sales of sheet really music was, b- big um, was big money who, who buys who buys sheet music today in 2016 sheet music is nothing so but but we're stuck with the rulings, the laws that were created to administer that a hundred years antiquated. ago. Antiquated. Antiquated. And and all we've been doing is as enough anger arises, let's tweak, patch, change that old ruling and move it this way, as opposed to stepping back and maybe going, You know what? The whole thing just needs to be gutted and rebuilt from the ground up, and that'll never but happen.
1: How do you trust to do that because when you, you have politicians you that you know their constituents are Google, Apple, Spotify, Pandora, well, that's why it, Amazon, w- it won't whatever. happen.
0: It can happen because
1: I mean, it's got to be a fair group of people where everybody's represented and all these voices are heard. Because it sounds like the voices, you know, those documents were sent, but they were kind of ignored. It didn't sound like you know they were taken into account so it's
0: a, you know it sounds like those hundreds of comments um, didn't mean anything the second this other group showed up and said hey wait a second we we might only be one comment but our one comment is has yeah, a lot 100. more has a lot more muscle than these 100 other comments from joe steve you know michelle and whoever else is writing in comments it's like those yeah. people don't matter we matter cuz guess what we're funding your campaigns we're in your you know we're in your re- it's what yeah it's government it it is and it's
1: interesting that they've put it on hold for a year you know there's going to be a change in presidential regime here uh shortly and and we'll follow this case closely and and see you know see if uh it does uh come out like we think it's
0: going know, to You know I have a feeling the way this is going to settle is it's just quietly going to happen one day. It'll just be... Not a lot of fanfare? There won't be a lot of fanfare. There won't be a lot of discussion. There won't be press releases. All of a sudden, someone will go, wait a second. Three weeks ago, this ruling was passed. And here's what it says. And it's, Maybe. it's done. It's over. You can't do it. I just feel like this has that tone to it of we don't want we don't want to bring a lot of attention to this. Yeah, I don't know. You know, we don't Chris want a lot of big. We don't want a big. We, we don't want a lot of big songwriters, musicians, celebrities making stink about this. So let's get this done under the table, signed, and oh, it's too late. You had your op- your window was four weeks ago, and you missed your window to object. Right. You know,
1: something tells me the Lowrys of the world and you know the the Chris's of the world will maybe keep it in the. Uh, in the public eye, and, well, you know, these days I, with they, the, they, the Internet They, they and social.
0: will, but, again, they're battling Google's. Uh, they're Goliath. <laughs> they're, they're, yeah, point. you I know. Mean, it's,
1: it's definitely an uphill battle. It's not a fair fight. You know, you're bringing a, a knife to a
0: gunfight. Exactly, a knife to a nuke war. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Fascinating, fascinating, fascinating stuff. Guest. That was awesome. Yep, yep. So um, I think we've got a guest next week as well, don't we? Yep. Yeah, we got a couple we've of them got some, lined up we've got here. A couple of guests lined up. It'll yep. be really interesting for everyone. And, and we we need to find a week to talk again because I'm just fascinated by. In this last week, we won't get into the discussions, but the word has come out that Spotify has become a record label. Yeah. What did, what, did to ta- being, what did we talk? What did we talk about last week? Okay. You know, rec, you know, streaming services becoming record labels. We kind of were picking Amazon and Apple to go that course, and boom. Spotify shows up, and new discussions about um, the exclusive battle on, mm-hmm. on what you know,
1: we, we may have to have like a, a separate we may have to a have a midweek show. show yeah I'm, yeah because there's boy. there's
0: some interesting stuff that's been coming up over the last week Lots here All right yeah. everybody that's it. all right have We're a great out of here. Week. take care.